Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today, we are talking about food, food, glorious food, and summertime sizzle. What could be more happy than having great food surrounded by great people? My first guest today is Stephen Raikland. He is the author of The Barbecue Bible. He's actually the author of a lot of books, and these include How to Grill, Planet Barbecue, and six more live fire cookbooks that have won James Beard and IACP awards. Raiklin has written for the New York Times, Esquire, Food and Wine, and Bon Appetit, and teaches barbecue university classes at the Broadmoor Resort in Colorado Springs. His TV shows include the PBS series, Stephen Raiklin's Project Smoke, Primal Grill, and Barbecue University, as well as the French language show, Le Maître du Grill. Raiklin has lectured on the history and culture of barbecue at the Smithsonian Institution, the Library of Congress, and Harvard University. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. And your pronunciation of Le Maître du Grill was impeccable. Oh, thank you. I was worried about that. I was in a little bit of a sweat before I got to that line. So I'm happy to hear that. Let's talk about, for the novices out there, the difference between smoking, grilling, and barbecuing. Very good. Grilling is when you cook a small tender piece of food like a steak or a chop directly over a high heat. All right? And that's the most often, uh, the most frequent way and widespread way we use our grill. Uh, true barbecue is an indirect method, that is, the food is cooked next to, not directly over the fire. Much larger piece of meat, like a pork shoulder or a brisket, much lower temperature, typically 225 to 250 degrees, and always in the presence of wood smoke. Okay, uh, smoke is the soul of true barbecue. Now, smoking may be barbecue, but it embraces many foods that are not barbecue. And the short list would include something like 
kippered salmon or Nova Scotia-style salmon or smoked cheese or bacon or jerky or even desserts. Uh, these are all foods that are smoked but not grilled or barbecued. Whoa. All right. Well, I have just now received the primer, and I see how I have interchanged these words um, erroneously over the years. Yeah, we're, sometimes we're a little fuzzy with, uh, with those words, but, uh, but in fact, that is, the, uh, that is the difference. You know, they're all related because they all involve live fire, but it's just a question of how we use that live fire. And what is smoke, and why does it taste so good? Well, smoke is a vaporous uh, byproduct of burning wood or other organic material. You can also smoke with uh, hay or with straw or uh, with dried rosemary, for example. Um, Smoke is comprised of solids, like soot, of liquids, like tar, and of gases. And the gases are by far the most important flavor component. and those glasses include phenols, which include like vanillin, which gives smoked foods a sort of slight sweet vanilla sweet de- uh, sweet flavor. Uh, formaldehyde is one of the gases and found in smoke, one of the uh, one of the chemicals found in smoke uh, that uh, adds to uh, smoke's preservative abilities. Because you know, let's face it, originally foods were smoked not only for their taste, but also as a way to preserve them in an age before refrigeration. This is this is fascinating. And there is a vast global history of smoked cuisine, which you have lectured and taught about. Well, absolutely. And, you know, we know and love our barbecue here in America, but if you travel throughout Scandinavia, you will find more varieties and subtleties and nuances of smoked uh, fish, smoked shrimp, other smoked seafood, uh, smoked hams, smoked sausages, you know, that you could ever imagine. There are even smoked spirits, uh, and the last chapter of Project Smoke is devoted to uh, cocktails. But, you know, starting with Scotch whiskey, which is a whiskey that's made with smoked barley, uh, mezcal, a cousin of tequila that is made with fire-roasted, smoke-roasted agave cactus hearts. There's a smoked beer from uh, Bamberg, uh, Germany, smoked tea from China called Lapsang Suchang, where the tea leaves are actually uh, dried over smoky pine fires. So, you know, smoke is uh, such an integral part, not only of human gastronomy, but I would say of human happiness. (laughs) In your your newest book, Project Smoke, Seven Steps to Smoke Food Nirvana, and I love that smoke food nirvana you give um several suggestions for things that can and should be smoked and we're talking about food product here ladies and gentlemen absolutely yes um and you know the list goes from the predictable meats seafood vegetables cheese to dishes you would never dream you could smoke uh there's a section in the vegetable chapter called You Can Smoke What? Question mark, exclamation mark. And it's about, <laughs> all about foods that um, you can, uh, you know, you wouldn't expect to smoke. Mayonnaise. I mean, you can smoke mayonnaise. It gives you an ex- makes you an extraordinary uh, bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. You can smoke sour cream for potatoes. You can smoke maple syrup, sugar, mustard, ketchup, hot sauce. This smoking gives all of these. I call smoke sort of the umami of barbecue. You know, it, 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 it's that fifth taste, and it gives an added dimension of flavor and complexity 
to uh, virtually every, you know, almost every food you can think of. And what we're talking about in the smoking process is is you, you're actually exposing the food to these vapors, and exactly. then the the scent is being imbued into the food itself. It's is it you're you're not cooking with the smoke, are you? Or you're or you are? Well, it depends on. Uh, the first process, the infusing process, is that, that is a very accurate description. But let's say you were barbecuing a brisket. <coughs> well, the air, it's hot air and hot smoke that is doing the cooking. So, yes, in that sense, you're cooking the smoke. Um, there are also some uh, what I might call radical or extreme smoking procedures um, where, like, for example, uh, in Project Smoke TV show season two, uh, you'll watch me uh, smoke corn by taking the corn in the husk and laying it directly on the embers of the fire. And you, in effect, burn the husk off and pull the corn off just when the fire reaches the kernels. So what you're doing there is the corn husk is driving, as it burns, it drives the smoke inward and it smokes the ears of corn. Uh, so... That's an instance where, you know, cooking and smoking are very interwoven. But in the case of um, mayonnaise and condiments, are you just simply flash smoking? I mean, how how does that work? Well, first of all, with mayonnaise, you want to put, uh, I put the mayonnaise in a foil pan over another foil pan of ice. It's very important to keep it cold. A couple ways you can smoke it. If you have a handheld smoker, like a smoking gun or an Aladdin smoker, uh, there's a rubber, you know, sort of think of these as bongs that fire out hickory smoke or cherry smoke. Um, and if you cover a bowl with plastic wrap, put the mayonnaise at the bottom over ice, and then just fill that bowl with smoke, reseal the plastic. You do that two or three times, and that's a great way to smoke mayonnaise. If you're working in a smoker, you place your mayonnaise uh, over ice in the smoker. You add the wood chips following the manufacturer's instructions. And that smoking process can last a little longer. You know, that can last an hour or two. The idea is you want to smoke it just long enough to see a golden patina of smoke on the surface. Fascinating. And what about lemons? This is one of your other suggested ingredients to smoke. Yeah, I I love lemons so much. I mean, I love the sharpness of the juice. I love the bright aromatic flavor of the zest. And so it was only natural that I would take half lemons and put them in a smoker. And, you know, you squeeze a smoked lemon on a piece of grilled fish. I mean, the flavors are just astonishing. Uh, I've got got the image in my mind, and um, I, I am going to definitely try the lemons. Another recipe, bacon, bourbon, apple, crisp. Sweet, savory, and smoky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that was my the first uh, smoked dessert I experimented with, and um, <coughs> you know, uh, it is very popular in a la mode now to in style to put sea salt with sweet desserts, and in a way, a little bit of salt can help kind of help bring out the sweetness. So, bacon is salty, and that is that flavor dynamic. Bacon and apples, long-standing affinity. Uh, Bacon is also smoky, so that adds another layer of smoke. But then the real kicker here is you cook this crisp. You do it, use a technique I use a lot, actually, called smoke roasting, which is smoking at a high temperature. That's ignored by a lot of the barbecue people. But, in fact, it's a great, you know, when you want to make a crust, you want that crumble on top to turn into a sizzling, buttery crust, you need to work at a higher temperature. So grill set up for indirect grilling preheated to 350 degrees. Then you add wood chips to the coals, and you add a third layer of smoke. 
by the way, I did a book signing last night in Portland, and uh, we served that at the end to uh, to uh, the people that attended the signings. And, you know, it's funny, when you write a cookbook, I mean, I developed all these recipes two years ago, so a lot of them have been off my radar since I turned in the manuscript. It's really fun to taste them again. I bet. I bet. And, and, and we should once again mention that you are in Portland, Oregon, promoting your latest book, Project Smoke, Seven Steps to Smoke Food Nirvana. And having said that, you mentioned earlier, for those of us that don't possess a smoker, other means and technologies that we can use to smoke flavor a dish. Let's recap that. Well, okay, so first of all, let's say you live in a condo or an apartment in a big city and you don't have access to the outdoors. You can use a stovetop smoker, like a Nordicware uh, smoking kettle or a Cameroon stovetop smoker cooker. These, in effect, are metal boxes or metal pots where you put sawdust in the bottom, there's a rack for the food, and you cover the smoker, and you're in business for smoking. Um, uh, the handheld smokers I mentioned, like the smoking gun, that's another way to great a great smoke flavor in. Uh, let's say you own a kettle grill, but you don't add a, a, own a proper dedicated smoker. Easy to smoke on a kettle grill, just use half as much charcoal and be sure to add wood chips or chunks to the coals. So those are three methods right there uh, that will get you a long way towards smoked food nirvana. But if you really get into this, you're probably going to want to buy a dedicated smoker. Uh, Entry level on those, you know, a couple, 300 bucks, and at that price you could get a Weber Smoky Mountain, you could get a pit barrel cooker, you could get a Bradley electric smoker, uh, you could get a vault uh, propane smoker. All of these are extremely effective. So what I hear you saying is my grandmother's liquid smoke is out. Well, there is a place in Reichland World for liquid smoke. Uh, I like to add it to barbecue sauces. But in terms of braising uh, or baking ribs in the oven and then basting them with liquid smoke, nah, we're, we're, you're, you deserve better than that. <laughs> we are so beyond that. We're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation with Stephen Reichland about his new book, Project Smoke, Seven Steps to Smoke Food Nirvana, and the contact information. To learn more, please visit stephenraikland.com. On Twitter, the handle is at S. Raikland, and on Facebook, the page is, guess what, Stephen Raikland. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. 
Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the food sizzle, summertime cooking with, I would say, the barbecue guru of the world, Stephen Raikland. And we're talking about his new book, Project Smoke, Seven Steps to Smoked Food Nirvana. So, Stephen, prior to the break, we were talking about ways to smoke if you don't have a smoker, and we're talking about ways to smoke food, that is. I want to be very clear about that. Let's get into the do's and don'ts of smoking. Okay. Well, do uh, smoke everything. And I mean meats, I mean seafood, but I also mean uh, vegetables, I mean appetizers, I mean desserts, and even cocktails. Don't add all the wood at once. This is a very male trait. You know, if some is good, more is better. Uh, (laughs) You want to space adding the wood out, space your smoking out over an extended period. That gives you the best flavor, and it avoids those bitter flavors that come with too much smoke. Um, Let's see. Do smoke low and slow if you are cooking, let's say, a brisket or ribs or pork shoulder, you know, a large cut of meat that needs time and low heat to uh, tenderize it. Uh, Don't smoke chocolate. Uh, That's one of the few foods that I have found does not really benefit from smoking. However, there is a smoked chocolate bread pudding in the dessert chapter in Project Smoke, and that works because, in effect, what you're doing is smoking the bread. You're not necessarily smoking the chocolate. Can we just stop there for one second? Sure. Because I uh, am always intrigued by amazing bread pudding recipes, and this sounds insane. Uh, you know what? It's pretty insane. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, it's, so, it, it, it's pretty it, insane. Again, it's, uh, you know, we don't think of smoke with desserts, but <clears throat> it's, you know, smoke, like, you know that moment in The Wizard of Oz where it goes from black and white to technicolor? That's what I feel like smoke does for desserts. <laughs> the angels are singing. That's what yeah. comes to my mind. Yeah, ah, right. you know. Wow. All right. Well, I am going to uh, definitely, definitely um, try out the smoked chocolate bread pudding. Um, you, I just want to go back to something you mentioned about cocktails and fruit because, A, we wouldn't normally think of smoking either of those two, and, B, I like get it. Pears come to mind. Apples. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. So we already talked about the bacon, bourbon, bourbon, apple crisp. There's also what I call a smoked apple, which is like a baked apple in that it's stuffed with brown sugar, uh, uh, cookie crumbs or graham cracker crumbs, cinnamon, rum, butter. But instead of baking it, you smoke roast it in a smoker or on a grill. Fantastic flavor. Uh, For pears, actually, in the TV show, I do a smoke-roasted stuffed pear 
with smoked whipped cream that, uh, honestly, God, it should be eaten with uh, head bared and kneeling. <laughs> well, and, and how about combining the fruit with the cocktails? What have you got in that department? Well, let's see. Um, you know, we made a fun thing on the show, uh, which is uh, coming out. You know, the show's airing on PBS right now, and we'll air once a week for the next 13 weeks. And it was uh, what I call a, uh, a, a smoke-roasted uh, sangria. What we did is cut up the fruit for sangria, so lemons, limes, oranges, grapefruit. Dipped each cut piece of fruit in sugar, then uh, grilled it over a screaming hot fire so that you caramelize the sugar. You kind of burn the sugar with the juices and a little bit of the rind. And then that mixture goes into a bowl. Uh, The fruits are mashed with brown sugar and rum. And finally, you add... uh, either a Prosecco or Cava or Lambrusco, a sparkling wine. And it's a sangria unlike any you will ever taste. Wow, that sounds incredible. All right, so say our listeners are novices and they have uh, maybe done you know, regular barbecue, we're thinking hot dogs, hamburgers, chicken, sort of the basics and ribs included. But w- what you're doing is you are taking this to an entirely new level. And for those of us who um, maybe are proficient in the kitchen, but not on the grill or on the barbecue, how do you suggest we take our baby steps towards uh, nirvana? Well, the first dish I would recommend uh, smoking would be a uh, smoked pork shoulder. And the reason is that unlike brisket or ribs, pork is an intrinsically tender meat. Uh, Pork shoulder is an intrinsically tender meat. And uh, it's also extremely well marbled both on the outside and the inside. So uh, when you, uh, if you overcook it, if you get a temperature spike, if you cook it too long, if your temperature is uneven, it will still come out amazing. It's virtually impossible to mess up a pork shoulder. Interesting. So would you recommend, in addition to pork shoulder, that a fatty meat is what we would start with? Well, yes and no, because brisket, especially if you buy an untrimmed brisket, is a fatty meat. But it is <coughs> uh, it's a little bit more challenging because unlike a pork shoulder, which is intrinsically tender, brisket is intrinsically tough. It has a lot of connective tissue. If you buy a whole one, there are two sets of muscles whose fibers go in the opposite direction. So there you really do need to keep a consistent temperature. Uh, but the whole key to smoking is patience. You know, if you've got a grilling mindset where you're used to grilling a food in, you know, six to ten minutes, here you're talking six to ten hours. So you really need to slow it down. Ah, this is a very, very good point because now we're talking about cooking as a mindfulness practice. Exactly. And there's, you know, there's a real meditation to the quality of, uh, you know, a long, slow smoke. So the low and, sp- and slow that you spoke of in the, in the first half of, of, our, of our get-together here is an essential component to this. When you're talking about hours, plural, not just, oh, I'll throw it on the grill, you know, flip it a couple of times, and we're done and at the table. This is, this is, this is artisanry. Absolutely, yeah. It is, uh, it is uh, it, it's a, uh, you know, it, it has its own rhythm, and one thing I like about smoking, we live in an incredibly hurried up world, you know, since I've been talking to you, I've got 
probably 15 new emails in my inbox. And smoking is a chance to just take it down, slow it down, kind of get back to a, a time when, our, you know, the rhythm of our days was measured in, in, in hours and days, not in seconds and minutes. Yeah, I, I, I get it. And I see the value of the ritual you know, and the procession necessary to create a meal like this. So so we are going to start our smoked meal or our smoked dishes early in the day for Correct. a dinner. Correct. I mean, some people, you know, if you have smokers with uh, thermostatically controlled, some people will even do it overnight. But if I'm serving brisket for dinner, you know, well, I'm an early riser anyway, but I usually try and have my brisket on by 6 in the morning. And... Uh, you know, there's something very hypnotic and meditative about a meat where every hour you're replenishing the coals, you're replenishing the chips, you might mop the mop the meat. It's it's really a way to plug into a a, 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 a pace that has disappeared from modern life. Well, it's a metaphor for nourishing ourselves, I think. Absolutely. So let, let let's go back to the logistics of smoking and talk about. A, what a smoke ring is and how it forms. Okay, so a smoke ring is a naturally occurring chemical reaction. Uh, one of the components in wood smoke is nitrogen dioxide. And when nitrogen dioxide combines with the meat in a, uh, a warm but not overly hot or not overly cool environment, it produces a reddish pigmentation just under the surface of the meat. So if you cut, uh, cut a slice of an expertly smoked brisket or rib or pork shoulder, you'll see what looks like a subcutaneous uh, ring of pinkish red just under the surface. Um, and that, I like to call it the red badge of uh, honor, you know, for smoke masters. It's, uh, it lets you know you've, you've done it right. Aha! I I have actually had that happen um, to my smoked meat, but I right? didn't I didn't know. <laughs> right. That's very satisfying. Well, n- now I know that I am to be very happy and and satisfied with with it. Um, we are, are. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You should be happy and proud. Oh, happy and proud, and uh, now I I I I'm going to look for it more and and make that uh, the the gift of the process, not the goal, but the gift, that when it happens, I'm going to be mindful of this conversation. Um, we are nearing the end of, uh, of our time together, which kind of blows me away because there's so many other questions I want to ask you. You have given us a couple of ideas for the smoking novice. And before we dance out of here together, I would love for you to give us a couple ideas for the seasoned smoker aficionado. Okay, well, that's a great question. So, um, but you know, prime rib. I mean, that's a, a, probably the most expensive cut of meat you'll ever buy. <coughs> uh, smoked, it's great. Um, uh, beef tenderloin is another one of those, you know, very prestige, expensive cuts. And we use a technique that's called reverse searing, where uh, you smoke low and slow to cook the meat almost to the desired internal temperature. Let's say you want to be at 125 for rare, so you'd cook to about 110. And then you crank the temperature up, or else you move the meat to uh, the, uh, a grill, and you direct grill it to put a crust on the outside. So um, that gives you perfect dust and doneness on the inside, great intense smoke flavor, the crust that you associate with grilled meat, but it's a much more forgiving 
process. And also, you don't get that bullseye that you often get with a grilled meat where it'll sort of be raw and blue in the center and then kind of going to red to pink to gray on the outside. You get a uniform uh, reddish-pink color throughout. Phenomenal. I want to once again give your contact information and and thank you for spending time with me this morning because I am intrigued. I'm going to get busy myself. I've got your book and um, can't wait to try some of these recipes. To learn more, please visit stephenraiklin.com. On Twitter, the handle is srakelin and on Facebook, Stephen. Raiklin. And I also wanted to point out, as you mentioned, that the PBS series Project Smoke is is on. It's it's happening for the next several weeks through the summer. And I invite our listeners to get busy and give us feedback. We'd love to know what you've cooked, what you've smoked. Absolutely. Uh, boy, what a pleasure talking to you. And if I could just mention one more website, it is barbecuebible.com, B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E-B-I-B-L-E.com. That kind of gets you into the smoking and grilling part of Stephen Reichlin uh, more quickly. But this was uh, just a pure delight. Thank you so much. Oh, likewise. Thank you. And uh, happy cooking to okay. us all. <laughs> Take care. Smoke on. Bye-bye. Thank you, Stephen. Bye. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Cayman has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about food. We are talking about food, glorious food, and the smoking hot, bountiful harvest of edible riches that abound us. My next guest is known as the vegetable butcher, Kara Mangini, grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and worked at some of New York's and Napa Valley's top culinary destination. Kara Mangini developed a passion for produce at its peak and honed her skills in its selection and preparation. Ever since, she's been on a mission to put vegetables at the center of the American plate. Kara's food career started at a culinary arts degree, or with a culinary arts degree, I should say, from the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York City. As a vegetable butcher at Mario Batali's Italy, she immersed herself in everything vegetable 
There she discovered a passion for educating customers to select and prepare produce in new and exciting ways. She is now the proud owner and executive chef of Little Eater in Columbus, Ohio, a produce-inspired restaurant, and Little Eater Produce and Provisions, an associated local and artisanal food boutique also in Columbus, located in its historic North Market District, which is actually a pretty cool area. On top of which, Kara is the author of The Vegetable Butcher, How to Select, Prep, Slice, Dice, and Masterfully Cook Vegetables from Artichokes, to zucchini and i also want to add that kara is also the proud mama to a brand new sweet baby girl welcome kara mangini thanks for joining us thank you so much i'm happy to be talking with you likewise let's let's get into um the cookbook because this is a very unique cookbook one does not often put the two words vegetable and butcher together up until now Uh, I well, I appreciate it. It is unique, and you know the the goal is to provide both those basic uh, techniques and knife skills that will help to make vegetables, cooking with vegetables, uh, easier. You know, for everyday cooking, um, and also provide some really, I think, inspirational recipes that will get you excited to cook with these wonderful ingredients. And the book, actually, it's, it is beautiful. The photographs of the food will make you salivate. And I like what you talk about, the, the butchery being the knife work, because we don't often associate the art of, of the knife and cutting with the preparation required to really enhance the flavor of these vegetables. And there are so many vegetables, and we're getting so sophisticated with what's become available to us. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that vegetables, you know, in so much of my work, I found that vegetables can actually be quite intimidating for people. And a lot of that has to do with not quite understanding how to approach them. So, you know, my goal with this book and in all my work is for people to be able to go to wherever you shop for produce. If it's a farmer's market or you get a farm box or you go to the supermarket, that you can pick up any piece of produce at any time of year and know that, uh, you know, you're going to be able to turn that into a meal. And I think knife skills and knowing how to select and store uh, and, again, pick up your knife uh, and turn that into uh, into a meal um, is going to make that all easier for you and just, you know, uh, much more uh, exciting and approachable. You know, let's talk a little bit about a couple of intimidating vegetables. One for me was fava bean. Yes. The other is the head of a cauliflower. Not, not, you know, not, you know, chopping cauliflower and sauteing it or steaming it, but it's become quite fashionable to take the whole head and prepare it, but it's intimidating. Absolutely. And I think with cauliflower in particular, you know, I share in the book a, I think a really simple sort of a reverent um, technique for breaking down a head of cauliflower quite quickly. If you cut it in half from the crown uh, to the base right through the middle and then cut it into quarters in the same way from top to bottom, then you can cut uh, using your knife at an angle. You cut the florets in one swoop right off of the core. Uh, And I love that technique. You know, when you're roasting or you're turning that cauliflower into a puree, you know, you don't, it doesn't really matter exactly what those florets look like. They just need to be in even pieces. So I love that technique. And they're, of course, step-by-step photos in the book um, that show you how to do that. 
And then when it comes to fava beans, you know, they're such a, a special vegetable, uh, and they do require a little bit of work. You have to blanch them. You have to essentially peel the beans out of the pod, and then there's another little skin that those beans sit in, uh, and you have to cook them briefly in order for those skins just to slip right off the bean. So they take a little bit of work, but I think there's great reward uh, because they offer just incredible flavor, uh, and there's so many fun things that you can do with fava beans. Well, I uh, live by the beach in Malibu. This is where we broadcast our consciously prepared brain food, and there is a... um, a gentlewoman farmer not far from me that grows fava beans. And the first time I made them from her harvest, I learned of this multiple step process. But what I love about that bean is for those of us that don't eat meat or eat a lot of it, that it's a very hearty, chewy, satisfying vegetable. Absolutely. I think there's just, you know, it it is, Uh, It's satisfying, exactly as you said it, and they are uh, a real sign of spring, certainly, Uh, and then there's usually another crop. In California, you have access to them, um, you know, uh, for quite a long time, and there's another good crop usually in the fall, Um, and they're just a really special vegetable, Uh, and of course, in the book, there's a wonderful recipe for uh, a puree that I I love, really simple, Uh, and you know, I think there's something sort of zen and and fun about preparing that multi-step process. Uh, of preparing them, so I agree. You come. I want to, Cara. I want to ask you a little bit about your name because, for those that don't speak Italian, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you are your name. Yes. So I, uh, my last name uh, is. A, there's a a very loose translation. It translates to little eater uh, in Italian, and so I've. Uh, base my my business my restaurant name is Little Eater, um, and I think I you know I I didn't always know it, but I think I was always destined to to work in food. But you know I've always food has always navigated uh, my life and my travels. And at a very young age, I think I knew that something really magical happened around a table. And I come from a big Italian family where you know, food and everything that happens at a table was the center of my universe from a very young age. And I knew that I wanted to create something and build a business and a life that centered around, you know, creating those same kind of celebrations and moments throughout the year. And, you know, it's what I love about vegetables is that, you know, nature and, of course, the work of our hardworking farmers um, gives us signals and little moments to celebrate as, you know, these ingredients are coming out of the ground. And your um, grandfather and great grandfather were both butchers. So this this knife this knifesmanship <laughs> comes from somewhere. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I my uh, great grandfather and grandfather were traditional meat butchers, and you know I think I I have a real appreciation for that craft. You know, and dedicating your life toward the pursuit of perfecting uh, a particular craft. And I think, you know, I went in a different direction with vegetables and vegetable butchery. Um, But, you know, I certainly got from them a, not only a sense of entrepreneurship and that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, but certainly an appreciation for good quality ingredients and and beautiful food and uh, and feeding people. You used to work at Italy. And for those, and we don't mean Italy as in the country, we mean Italy, which is an entirely different country and destination in New York City. (laughs) 
is a little country that that place. Um, it's a it's a special place. Uh, there's now two locations in New York City and one in Chicago. Is there one coming to Los Angeles? I have heard a rumor, and I have been I've... tracking the big Italy uh, park that is going to be opening in Italy as well. Well, there, it's an exciting, you know, it's been hugely successful. And for me, it was a very special experience. The whole place really is dedicated to supporting cooking at home. And it's an enormous Italian food emporium. Uh, and I worked in the vegetable restaurant and was a vegetable butcher there. And what I found in that experience was, you know, there are people from all over the country coming through those doors uh, and, you know, the simplest techniques and tricks that I was sharing with people when it came to vegetables really uh, was helpful for people and sort of blew their minds, you know, just really simple little ways to prepare something or I'd provide advice on, you know, what vegetables to choose and bring home and, and cook quickly, get them on the table. And I really, it was a formative experience because it showed me that, you know, their vegetable education and in particular, you know, how to handle uh, vegetables when it came to, to butchery and simple preparations was very much needed, I think, in our culture. It wasn't quite second nature to people, uh, and I wanted to, to, after that experience, really help to make vegetable cooking vegetables much more intuitive and second nature in our culture. Well, I applaud you for that because I think people do have a, a challenging time um, with vegetables, we tend to go for easy. We tend to think of it, it's 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 not the primary focus of the meal. And it should be because it is probably the most um, healthful and beneficial to us. We're going to take a break in a minute. But before we go out, I want you to just say a word about cutlery and how probably 99% of us have dull knives in our kitchen and it's not helping our our food prep and our food taste. You are right. So, you know, the number one essential next to your hands in the kitchen, I think, is a, a good chef's knife, and I recommend an 8-inch chef's knife. Uh, it will give you the room and leverage in working in all different kinds of vegetables. I don't think you need that huge butcher block of knives that the knife companies make you think you need. You know, I think that's just overwhelming. You need that one good knife, uh, and you need to keep it sharp. It's really important. It's when accidents happen is when it's dull. And, you know, your knife should do much of the work for you. And I think sometimes that feeling like, you know, this is uh, a challenge or overwhelming to do all that work is because uh, it, it feels like a chore when, when you're doing all the work and your knife isn't. So you got to keep your knife sharp um, with a honing steel. Uh, and in the book, of course, I show how to, how to use the honing steel. And then, um, and then you need to bring it in to actually sharpen it um, and have a professional sharpener uh, do that for you. Let's go off to break, and when we come back, I want to talk a bit a bit about the, the the bounty of the harvest that is around us right now, and how to select those vegetables. Uh, we'll be right back, but before we go, I want to give contact information to learn more about Cara Mangini's work. Please visit www.littleeater.com. On Twitter, that handle is at Cara Mangini, and on Facebook, Little Eater. And the book, once again, is The Vegetable Butcher, How to Select, Prep, Slice, Dice, and Masterfully Cook Vegetables from Artichokes to Zucchini. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. 
Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you are just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast because we are talking about the smoking hot, bountiful harvest harvest of edible riches with my guest today, Kara Mangini. She is the author of The Vegetable Butcher. She is also the proprietor and executive chef of Little Eater in Columbus, Ohio. And she is rocking the world with awesome vegetables and really um, placing vegetables at the center of the plate rather than off to the side. Kara, let's talk about what is around us right now, what we should be looking for in our markets and some inspirational ideas of what to do with those veggies. Well, my favorites right now are I love the sweet potatoes, delicata squash, and really any of the winter uh, squashes. Celery root is wonderful. Uh, you know, it's a time of year where just there's so many things available to us, uh, and it's and it's also that time you really feel like getting into the kitchen and, and cooking. So it's really exciting. Um, also, broccoli and cauliflower, uh, all of those brassicas are, are certainly uh, out uh, and looking beautiful. And, the, and and when you say beautiful, they really are um, physically beautiful and look beautiful on the plate, occupying the center of the plate. You know, I mean, we all we all need a protein source. I'm not telling people to go out and not have animal protein or other forms of protein, but these vegetables and how they're appearing in our markets are so luscious um, and so filling. Absolutely, you know, and I, that's my goal is that you know I think we naturally are attracted to these ingredients, these vegetables. They really are beautiful. And it's always amazing to me that, uh, you know, nature provides these uh, incredible riches. And, uh, and again, of course, with the work of, of our hardworking farmers. Um, and, you know, it, it, they provide also just such a range of, um, a range of different flavors and textures uh, and colors, and I think it's a real, you know, joy uh, to eat and, and to really taste each moment of the year through these ingredients. Um, and, you know, they absolutely, when you put vegetables at the center, center of your plate, uh, you certainly can be uh, satisfied and create really balanced 
meals uh, with them really as the star and the focus. Speaking of thanking the farmer, I live not far from a very cool kale farmer. And um, at first, when he started growing kale, he talked about like nobody wanting to eat it. You know, this was a few years back. And now um, this past week uh, in the local farms just north of where I live, they were giving away kale on the side of the road. It was so cool. Oh, how cool. You know? yeah, yeah, now they, I'm sure, are producing tons and tons, as it certainly is a, uh, a popular one. And I think, you know, in terms of greens, there are other ones. I, I love kale uh, and so many different varieties that are available now, and I think they're all wonderful, and you can certainly use them uh, interchangeably. Um, but there are also things like, you know, Swiss chard. You could actually use raw, or you can saute in the same way, and they actually cook quite it cooks quite quickly and has a wonderful sweet flavor and you can use the the ribs um, are edible whereas for kale I think it can be a little bit tough uh, collard greens are, are wonderful mustard greens there's so many and we're lucky I think at this point um, in so many uh, areas to have so much variety when it comes to those greens let's talk about some of your favorite recipes someone says to you Kara make us the most exquisite vegetable meal using ingredients that are available now, what, what pops into mind? Well, it, it always is dependent on the season and the moment of the year. So my favorites are, you know, what's kind of just coming into season. Uh, right now, uh, in the fall, I love the fall farmer's market tacos. Uh, they are just filling and wonderful, and they're paired with uh, black beans and lime. Uh, they're stuffed with sweet potatoes and delicata squash and topped with cabbage, uh, really, really wonderful. Um, in the winter, I love uh, celery root pot pie that's paired with apples, really wonderful, just exactly what you want on a, on a cold winter day. Uh, in the spring, oh, there's so many uh, wonderful options. I love uh, using artichokes, an artichoke torta, which is a wonderful, um, almost like a frittata uh, recipe in the book that's wonderful paired with a green salad or Swiss chard crostata with a fennel seed crust. Uh, in the summer, uh, of course, options are endless. I love doing more of, you know, really simple cooking uh, on the grill, things that are, you know, the vegetables in the summer don't really um, require us to do much. We just need to kind of show them off and prepare them simply. Uh, so I love, uh, you know, a simple uh, pasta with zucchini, sweet corn, basil, and mozzarella. I love marinated basil and garlic peppers uh, on goat cheese tartines. Uh, you know, there are so many. There are so many options, and you've asked me a question where I can never choose just one. Uh, but <laughs> those are my favorites. I think season to season. Uh, but but it's always it's always what's just coming on um, that that gets me excited, and I like to allow those vegetables that are just coming into season to really inspire the cooking that I do. Um, and I think the book, the way the book is organized certainly allows you to, to do that is to, you know, look at what is, you know, what's just coming out at your market, um, bring it home and feel really confident knowing you're going to be able to turn that into a meal. Well, the book really is an explorer's feast. I mean, there's so many wonderful recipes, things that are that you would not really think to even pair together. And you mentioned the celery root pot pie, which I happen to have 
that happened to have opened to that page prior to you mentioning it. And um, pot pie is like the ultimate comfort food, right? Absolutely. And, you know, celery root is a gnarly looking root that, you know, I think can be one of those intimidating vegetables for people. And it has this wonderful earthiness, but also it can, when it uh, when it cooks down, it actually becomes quite sweet, and it pairs wonderfully with sweet potato and apples. And is it is it's the ultimate uh, comfort food, and is it's a delicious, wonderful recipe. Speaking of comfort, and I mentioned at the beginning of the show that you recently became a mom, yeah. and your <laughs> baby is now all six months old. Yeah, so uh, the the book, you know, I, I had two babies at once, so the book came out uh, at the same time uh, that my baby did. So it was a it was an amazing week, uh, and uh, it's been certainly a very exciting time. And she's uh, she's growing up into uh, on book tour, so it's been it's been an adventure that I look forward to telling her about someday. And how has her presence in your life affected your cooking or the development of recipes or child-friendly, baby-friendly recipes. How is how has that evolved in the process? Because I would think you'd be you would be constantly thinking about how to make this Stella friendly. Absolutely. I mean, I think it shows me that ultimately it's really important to me that um, you know. Uh, that vegetables are, are a natural part of the plate. Um, you know, I think that we all have have that experience as a child where vegetables uh, were sort of, we have a bad memory association with certain ones. Um, and, you know, now as a parent, uh, you know, I want to make sure that um, vegetables are uh, available to her and that, you know, hopefully don't create those those memory associations that will stick with her for life, that really if we prepare vegetables simply uh, and prepare them in the right way, that I think that we can, you know, um, hopefully from an early age make vegetables a much more natural and significant part of the plate in a way that, you know, our kids will grow up and enjoy and make a part of their life forever um, and make vegetables more of, you know, something you get to do and enjoy and celebrate rather than something that equates to sacrifice uh, or deprivation, uh, which I think sometimes, you know, vegetables can get a bad, a bad name for that and often starts in childhood. I agree. I have two kids. Um, one is in college. One is uh, a late teenager. One loves veggies and the other one, like, I, I need to like sneak it in, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Except kale chips, that he will eat prolifically. You turn anything or into a chip or a fry, right? And it's <laughs> and and they'll love it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very very interesting. But I I think you know making vegetables a center of the plate when we're talking about health and actually cost benefit as well. You know that you can feed a family quite economically and and healthfully with a lot of vegetables and they're getting a huge amount of vitamins and, and, and nutrients from the, the, the harvest, you know, whatever is, whatever is in those markets today and makes it onto our plates, we really can create something wonderful without spending a lot of money. And I think that that's also a concern for many people. Absolutely. I think it's really important. Um, and, and again, I think it goes back to having those 
skills and feeling like you have those back-of-the-pocket recipes, you can turn vegetables, uh, you know, you can pick them up, know how to store them, get really comfortable breaking them down, you know, knowing exactly how to peel them and how to cut them, uh, and then, you know, have those recipes that you can turn to that's going to get dinner on the table quickly and, and allow vegetables to really uh, be the star. And I think in order to, to really incorporate vegetables every day into our cooking and support our health, and uh, we have to have those skills collectively. It has to be much more intuitive and second nature to us. Otherwise, we're not going to want to do it. Uh, and it, we're going to turn toward the things that are more convenient. And off, often the things that are more convenient aren't necessarily the things that are, are best for us and are going to support our lives and our health. Beautifully said. We are out of time. I want to thank Kara Mangini for being with me today. The book is The Vegetable Butcher, How to Select prep, slice, dice, and masterfully cook vegetables from artichokes to zucchini. Thank you, Kara. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing, delicious guests today, Cara Mangini and Stephen Reichlin, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.